You're listening to the Immaculate Podcast with Tim McMaster, Ed Bachet, and Mark Caboli. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Immaculate Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Mark Caboli and Ed Bouchette, both of our fine Steelers writers joining us here during the offseason on the podcast. Feel free to give us a great review and give us five stars as well. And if you're looking for that athletic subscription, go to theathletic.com slash the Immaculate Podcast. You can save 40% off a year subscription to The Athletic. So we got that stuff out of the way, guys. Let's talk about the Steelers team. We do have some news from the week and, and some different stuff to get into. We'll talk about the new coaching hire. We'll talk about the Super Bowl, which is set as well. But we have to start with Mark's travels for the week. He got away from Pittsburgh, went down to warm, sunny Orlando, except, Mark, it wasn't warm. Oh, it was freezing. It was about 40 <laughs> degrees. The worst part about it was I was uh, going to bring, like, jeans on the – wear it on the plane down. I'm like, I forget it. It's Florida. It's Even if it is 50, it's not going to be cold. Well, I made a mistake. And I don't think I was the only one that made a mistake there. It was freezing. It was windy. It was cold. And, you know, I'm coming. I'm, it's a lifelong Pittsburgh guy here who wears shorts when it's 20 degrees and don't care. It was, I'm telling you, there ain't no doubt the 40 degrees in Orlando is colder than 40 in Pittsburgh. I truly believe that after this weekend. Yeah, Florida's a, a funny state this time of year because the way the weather can swing. I remember a spring training a few years ago that I was down there in Fort Myers, and we had to be at the facility at like 6 a.m., and it was, I think it was 27 degrees at 6 a.m., and that was mid-February, and I did not bring gloves, and it was it was brutal. Uh, finally, the sun came up, and it actually got into like the 60s and was nice, but man, uh, yeah, they, it can surprise you, Florida in January and February. All right, but you did... Um, get a chance to to talk to some people down there. So let's get into that. The big one being Cam Hayward, who you sat down and, and interviewed one-on-one. Um, he said some interesting things. Good article on the site about it. And we have some of that sound uh, from your interview with him. One of the things he talked about was obviously the contract extension. So let's start there. Let's hear from Cam Hayward talking about his desire to stay with the Steelers. You know, I love being in Pittsburgh Steelers for the rest of my life. Um, you know, I, this is where I call home. My family loves it. Um, you know, we're very thankful to be here. And, uh, you know, but uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I have no control over it. Uh, they reach out. I'm more than happy to facilitate. No reaching out yet. Usually it's a yeah, June, I think, July type of thing. Um, June, July, or, you know, if we can get something done earlier, I would love it. But, you know, so be it. You know, we're... Uh, Seems really genuine, Mark, that he wants to be a Steeler really for life, but a lot of things go into this, obviously. One year left on the contract. He's now on the other side of 30 years old. Do you think that, that this happens and he does become a, a lifelong Steeler or at least one more contract? Do they get something done? Yeah, I, I first I think both sides value of being that stealer, that face of the program, the guy that spends your entire career there. I think Cam has been like that since you know basically his first couple of years here. That he knew how much it means to you know not only him, the Rooney family, and everybody here to have somebody like him being that guy out in front. And he saw the guys that come before him, so I think he really truly values that. As for 
getting it done. I think he counts $13 million against the cap this year. And as Ed can attest, you know, when they do extensions, they rip up that final year of uh, the contract and uh, make a new deal out of it. So if they do that, you know, they give him a three-year deal, average around 12 or 13 a year would be very similar to what he has now, but it would be able to be structured in a way to save some cap space this year. So all, then all of a sudden you get some cap relief, then you get a guy who has been nothing but, you know, he's been in the forefront of this franchise for four or five years now when things happen. He's out there talking. He is definitely the face of the the, the program. So I can see this getting done. Where it shocked me was he said, you know, typically they do these things at the end of the of the summer when everything else is pretty wrapped up. And he said he wouldn't mind it having it done early, which makes me believe that maybe the cap issue and some of the cap space could come into play here is why they can get it done early. They did it with Antonio Brown a couple of years ago. They did it with Ben and Pouncey last year. So I wouldn't be shocked if he would get some sort of a extension new contract here within the next you know, couple months. You mentioned being the face of the franchise. It's something he embraces, and he actually talked about that too. So let's hear from Cam one more time. I just want to be a good role model, a good representative of the Steelers. Um, they've done right by me to this far, and I want to continue to do right by them. Um, That's what I love about Pittsburgh. You gotta earn your way, and uh, everybody you see that's you know facing the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it's not just myself. I, I I'd be crazy to think that, but I think we got a good group of guys that um, do well on the field and off the field. All right, Ed. So uh, you know, every everybody wants it to happen. It's a good fit. It's a perfect fit. Eventually, you can't pay everyone on the defense, but in your opinion, if you have to kind of like stack up guys that are getting close to getting extensions, how important is Hayward compared to other guys along that defense? Well, I think Dupree, Bud Dupree is the most important now because he is, um, he'll is he become a free agent in March, Tim. So, right. you know, um, you know, weighing everything, I think Cam Hayward is more important to the defense, but as far as getting something done, Sooner, I think they have to do Bud Dupree, uh, whether that's franchise them or whatever they do. But, you know, as Mark pointed out, that, that could be part of the whole Bud Dupree extension slash franchise tag, too, is getting Hayward done in order to create that room for, for, for Bud Dupree and others. Yeah, all the pieces have to kind of fit together, and that's why you have guys in these front offices that uh, – I guess get paid the big bucks to uh, to do that sort of thing. And actually, that brings us to a good segue. Thanks, Ed, setting me up hmm. on the fact that the Steelers actually lost Samir Suleiman, who's one of the guys who um, is in that situation, figuring out the funds, figuring out the finances, how it all fits together. He goes to the Carolina Panthers. Um, I'll start with you, on, Ed, on this. How big a hit is that for the Steelers to lose Suleiman? I think it's bigger than um, you know the public might take. Uh, take into account um, and when I say bigger it's not going to affect the team I don't think but I thought Samir brought a um, a different kind of voice to the table as well um, where he would uh, he would he had no he didn't have the sentimentality maybe others have had uh, with some of these players and he would um, he would tell them hey you can't keep this guy you got to get rid of him you know or, uh, that kind of thing where it, as others might 
have leaned the other way. Now, whether they listened to him or not, I, I don't know, but um, I do believe he brought that. And I think he had a really good understanding of uh, all the mechanizations of the cap, of NFL rules involving contracts and, and, and other things. More like a general manager, I think, than just, a, he wasn't just a capologist. Um, I also think that Samir was a little um, uh, little taken back by, uh, they cut back on some of the stuff he did. Like they, they decided he wouldn't travel on the road anymore this year. Um, and that's something he really enjoyed. He, he goes to uh, every practice, every practice he was at, even though he wasn't a, quote, football guy, he would be there. So I think he probably jumped at this chance to go to Carolina. Yeah, see, he goes to that Panthers team, joins a new staff down there. One more thing I wanted to get to on Cam Hayward. Um, I'll go back to you, Mark. He, In your story, you talked about T.J. Watt pointing out the fact that, that he is kind of the face of the franchise. You see his, his resemblance everywhere around the city, and he was picking out people to sign autographs for down there at the Pro Bowl. How important is it in these situations? And we see it go both ways, but... For the other players on this team, how important is it to have Cam Hayward in that locker room, um, considering what he brings versus all the tough situations they had to go through the last few years in that locker room? Now they have a settled locker room where it seems like everyone gets along, it's a happy place, and, and this guy's the face of it. So how big is it for everyone else for him to stay in Pittsburgh? Yeah, I think he sets an example. I mean, it's... it's a quiet example. I don't think he's out there doing a lot of the rah-rah stuff. But, I mean, just to give you an example, after every single game, they open the locker room and every single media person, you know who they run to first? They run to Cam Hayward. And there's guys, you see guys looking around. People realize that that he what he says does matter and he could set a tone for how he wants the narrative to go. So I think that's huge as well. I mean, not to mention he's a pretty doggone good player i mean he seems to be keep getting better and better with age here he may be 30 but if you recall he was it was tough for him to get on the field those first two years there so he might be if possible a a young 30 but i think he's just a stabilizing force on that defense in that locker room where people do you know maybe not knowingly but they do look at him and they follow the ways that he does and you know if Somebody needs to stand up and say something. He's not afraid to do that. And once again, that you need leaders like that. You need guys not afraid to do that. And uh, I think that rubs off on a couple of people. So just saying that. And not to mention, you know, he's on every single commercial like Watt said. And I think he's on insurance commercials and billboards and smoothies and all that stuff. And it's just the face. The face. I mean, you always had some one of those guys. I mean, Roethlisberger could be that guy if he chose to be that guy. He just doesn't choose to be that guy because he wants to live his life in a different way. I think Cam embraces that and isn't afraid to help. I mean, he got his own foundation, the Hayward House. He helps uh, local communities and local hospitals. So he's just an all-around guy that you want to have all-around good guy that you want to have a part of your organization. And other and and if you have you know, 11 Cam Haywards and there's values, your locker room's pretty good. Your starting lineup's pretty good. You know, Tim, um, hearing Mark say that about uh, Cam, and, and especially when he talked about how we all gravitate to his locker as the first one after games, reminds reminded me of, of another one that 
did the same kind of things and had the same kind of respect and attraction was Joe Green. Uh, Joe Green, uh, and I covered some of him, and I uh, I used to um, work in Greensburg in the 70s and go out to training camp all the time. He would come into training camp, and everybody would gather around him, all the reporters, all the photographers, everybody. They'd circle around him right outside the dorm, and he'd give kind of a state of the Steelers thing before the start of training camp. And he was always one to... Um, to attract that kind of crowd and to put his teammates um, in in the right spots. And I, I don't just mean that on the field, but in the locker room. You know, he set the tone. Everybody knew it. He was the leader. And uh, coincidentally, they played the same positions. Joe played defensive tackle in a 4-3, and, and Cam plays what they now call defensive tackle in a 3-4. You know, Ed, Ed, I found Jerome Bettis like that too at times too. Would you agree? Yeah, well, Jerome. Yes, yeah. there have been others through the years, but uh, when you when you said that about Cam, it just had me recalling, you know, the Joe Green stuff. Yeah, and the the thing about the having his face all over the city and all the advertisements and all of that—that's another reason to to stay and maybe not need quite the the market value maybe even that you could get outside the Steelers because if you go somewhere else that's probably not going to be the same situation where you're going to suddenly be the face of another franchise um, and that that stuff pays too so it kind of helps out as far as the uh, the wallet and the financial situation to keep him in Pittsburgh all right some other news from the week um, we should touch on Matt Canada was hired as quarterback coach um, you know, he's a guy that, that's kind of had an interesting path to this point. Um, he's been successful as a coach in a lot of places he's been. He was at LSU. Uh, he left uh, in 2017, He followed, but he f- kind of fell out of favor with Ed Ogeron, who now, of course, is a hero down there having just won the national title. Uh, he was at Maryland. There was some controversy there that's been much publicized. He ended up leaving that program after being the interim. Now he comes to the Steelers just as a quarterback coach. Um, Ed, do you find this an interesting hire that they would go with a guy that has, I don't want to say it's a checkered past. I mean, there's nothing specific about Matt Canada, um, but but it's been an interesting path he's taken to this point. Um, where does he fit in with the Steelers? Well, they need a quarterback's coach. Uh, they've needed one for two <laughs> years. It baffled me that they didn't have one. They had a young kid in there as an assistant, you know, um, 20, you know, younger than the quarterbacks, practically. Uh, even Chuck Knoll, who didn't have a large staff, hired a quarterback's coach in 1973. He didn't keep with him long. Babe Perilli, who was right from up the road here, played for years in the NFL with the Patriots and others. But nevertheless, uh, I, I just thought it was very surprising that they did not have a quarterback's coach. And now they have one with a pretty good resume. Um, you know, uh, it, 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 I'm sure he's going to help uh, big time with uh, some of the um, game plans. And, uh, you know, he's already been celebrated at Penguins games, guys. Uh, I heard it the other day. They were screaming, Oh, Canada! <laughs> He's here all week, fellas. He's here all week. <laughs> the, the, um, li- downloading this podcast was worth it just for that moment, I think. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, so as far as the quarterback coach job with the Steelers, though, Mark, um, Ben Roethlisberger, 
I don't know if you can teach him anything at this point in his career. So does the Steelers quarterback coach have a lot more to do with the other guys and, and not Ben Roethlisberger? Yeah, I think he will. His main objective will try to help, you know, the Duck Hodges and the Mason Rudolphs and the, the Paxton Lynch and the JT Barrett still on the roster. But, you know, looking at Matt Canada's history, I mean, in, in all of his stops, okay, he's always had quarterback coach attached to his title. But I don't really recall any great success, you know, projects that he's had. Maybe Nate Peterman. I mean, if that's your greatest one with with Pitt, he's more of a guy that I thought brought some innovative schemes to different places where he did a lot of that jet sweep type of stuff, motion type of stuff. Maybe it's partly to help out those younger quarterbacks, but I wouldn't be surprised just to have another voice in that room. What they probably were missing last year when Munchak went to Denver, Munchak was always a guy that, you know, did that type of stuff, even if it was a, you know, a run game coordinator type of position. I don't know if Sean Surrett, the new offensive line coach, would have felt comfortable enough to do that. So maybe just to get another new voice in there in that uh, room as well. And you know what? They got a defensive coordinator in waiting in Terrell Austin. Now they got an offensive coordinator in waiting on the, on the other side of the ball in Canada. And just to have different ideas. So I'm curious to see how that that works out. But, you know, I think it all comes down to Ben Roethlisberger. I don't know how much he's really going to accept new ideas from as, as game plan-wise, even if it goes through Randy Fickner, of what he what Matt Canada might bring. Because everything that Matt Canada brings, I don't know if Roethlisberger is quite equipped to do at this point in his career. So I think that's going to be an interesting, interesting dynamic of quarterback coach, offensive coordinator, Hall of Fame quarterback, because if Ben thinks that Matt Canada is there to eventually take Randy's job, I don't know if Ben's going to really be receptive to much of anything that Matt Canada says. You know, Mark, it reminds me a little bit of them hiring Terrell Austin, you know, and, and putting him with the secondary, but really uh, he has a lot of input with that defense. Maybe this is a similar thing with Canada. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's probably part of it because if you look at teams like the 49ers and some of their run schemes, that's some uh, new advanced, not advanced, but different type of stuff that the Steelers aren't, weren't capable of doing. Just to, if you're able to, th- I mean, look at the Steelers' defense. You're right. I mean, they can do so many different things if they choose to want to do. It seemed like the offense was pretty stagnant of what they want to do. I mean, quarterback aside this this past year because of the injuries, but pretty stagnant of what they want to do. If you just infuse one game plan where you're running jet sweeps and stuff like that, Maybe that helps get a win. Maybe that helps push you over the edge. So I think I think a lot of it's going to be a bit was about getting a you know a good offensive mind in there. But you have to ask yourself, man, this is a guy who was making what a million and a half at LSU. I mean, to take a job as a quarterback coach now, it seems like it's going to be more than just a quarterback coach. Yeah, but the yeah pros, that that had pros to been. pay a little better than uh, than the colleges. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, uh, you know, that sort of thing shakes out and, and how that role goes. All right, so they have a quarterback's coach. They still don't have a wide receiver's coach. Obviously, they, they had the interim last year after the tragic death of Daryl Drake last summer. 
Um, Ed, what do you think for a time frame as far as a wide receivers coach goes? It seems like this is the time of year where all the teams are filling these roles and, and the senior bowl is this weekend. So, so many coaches down in Mobile, Alabama this week talking and conversing and doing that sort of thing. So when do you think Mike Tomlin finally, I guess, pulls the trigger on hiring a wide receiver coach and, and any thoughts on what direction he could go? I would, I would think it would happen uh, sooner than later. Uh, Tim, you know, they were down in Mobile, as you mentioned, and that's a that's a good source. That's where all the unemployed coaches go. It's the unemployed coaches convention. And I'm sure he talked <laughs> to some people down there and will um, maybe come home and, and, and mull over some things, maybe bring a couple guys in for second interviews. And, you know, he's not afraid to dip into the college ranks either. We've seen that. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if uh, – if if he found somebody in college, yeah, you know, I would imagine it would be sometime this week when he comes back. I don't think they even stay for the Senior Bowl; they just go for no, the practices and then come home. So, I wouldn't be shocked if it's something this week coming up. And you know, I don't know who they're going to obviously hire, but you look at their last couple of hires. About four receivers a coach ago, they had Scotty Montgomery, was a young guy straight out of college. That typically didn't work out very well. They moved on from him, and ever since then, they've had wide receiver coaches that are advanced in age, 60-plus um, years old. I mean, you got Ray Sherman this year, but that was under unusual circumstances. Daryl Drake was in his 60s as well, and before that, Richard Mann was maybe in his 70s at that time. I don't know if that's just a coincidence or if that's some – direction that Mike Tomlin feels comfortable going with with a, you know a a veteran established guy rather than you know Heinz Ward I, I think we can pretty much count out Heinz Ward right Ed cross him off uh, as long as Ben as long as Ben is the quarterback uh you can do that because uh, those two as we well know did not get along and I'll say one thing about Scotty Montgomery uh he didn't leave because he was young he didn't leave because of Mike Tomlin he left because he and Todd Haley didn't get along. <laughs> There's a shock, huh? Yep, yep. Bring Coach Todd back. He he coached receivers for a bunch of years. He's on, on Twitter Purcell. now. Yeah, he's, he's on, out there on Twitter making himself Bring. available out there. Is he still getting paid by the Browns, though? He might still be getting paid by a lot of teams. <laughs> he needs to be paid. He might still be looking for money from the Chiefs from like five, six, seven years ago. Yep, they, they, I, they never ponied up, did they? I don't think they did. I don't. All right, so that's kind of the, the news that's happening around the Steelers team. Um, I did want to touch on, though, Ed, you have a story about Bill Nunn on The Athletic, um, kind of dating back to, to 1974 and the draft that the Steelers had and free agent signings that year. What a big part Nunn was in that. But that 74 team in the first five rounds, they took Lynn Swan, Jack Lambert, John Stallworth, and Mike Webster. Um, and then after the after the and this was what stood out to me in the article early on after the 17 rounds of the draft, which is crazy, um, they ended up going to the free agent ranks and finding Donnie Shell. So five Hall of Famers um, that that this guy was such a big part of bringing in all because he was locked in right on the, the all black colleges and, and some insight that others around the NFL just weren't getting because they weren't paying attention to those leagues. It's a really good story. People should check it out. But um, what do you remember about Bill Nunn, Ed? Well, I, I knew Bill Nunn for a long time. He, in fact, he used to kid me about uh, 
about doing. He's an old newspaper guy. He, he uh, was a sports editor of the uh, Pittsburgh Courier, the most influential black paper in the in the country at the time. They had national editions, and that's how he he became. But he used to kid me all the time as a former newspaper guy about me doing television and radio and all this other stuff. He said, "Boy, you must be raking in the money." <laughs> anyway, podcasts. He, uh, yeah, that was before podcasts even. <laughs> but um, you know, he as a newspaper man, he he picked a, a all American black college, what we call now the historically black colleges, um, and uh, he used to pick an all American from the all Americans from those schools, and he knew all the coaches, he knew all the, the well, he knew the players by name. I don't know if he knew them personally, but he knew the coaches personally. He'd get out there. And um, the Steelers recognized this, and he's working right here in Pittsburgh. And our, our senior, the chief, the old man who founded the Steelers, ordered his son, Art Jr., um, who ran the scouting department, to hire him. So he did. He was a little reluctant at first, but the two became fast friends. And Bill started plucking these guys both in the draft. They drafted some, and they they, they signed some after the draft, like Shell. But... Uh, Guys who were being overlooked, schools who were being overlooked uh, for years and years, and now the Steelers are getting them. And it, it, it opened up the eyes of the NFL. Uh, Art Rooney said when he used to go, before none, when he used to go scout at those places, he was treated good. He said once they hired none, he said, I'd go to those places and I was treated great. <laughs> <laughs> so that he really, really uh, helped them, and people are starting to – uh, read more about Bill Nunn because of guys like me writing more about him. He's, he, he was uh, uh, he he was nominated. Uh, he was one of the finalists, I think, for uh, not not a finalist, but he was up for that special uh, Hall of Fame class. And I I think you'll see more and more because I think he's getting more support for possibly uh, making the Hall of Fame someday. You know, one of my favorite stories, Ed, was. Um when he was, what was he, scouting John Stallworth, and they asked him uh, to bring the tape to a, another school. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> I think you know that story a little better than me, but that's one I of my favorite ones. I about it in this one, yeah. <laughs> Did you they know, said, that's uh, yeah, they said, I'm sorry to step on your toes there, Mark, uh, but uh, the coach down there, and I forget his name, at, uh, at Alabama AM, A&M, uh, gave him all the tape on Stallworth, and he said, uh, you know, it was a real tape, the highlights, I guess, I don't know. And uh, back then, it wasn't video like now. You had a reel of tape. You had to put it in a projector. And he says, hey, when you're done looking at that, can you pass it along to other NFL teams? He said, sure. <laughs> well, Art Rooney said to him, he says, Bill, we got to pass this along. He says, no, nah. he says, we're not done with it yet. And that <laughs> tape never did see another scouting department in the NFL. And he was smart enough, right, that, that Stallworth, I guess, ran his 40 on a, a tough track and it was right. a bad time, but he actually took him elsewhere privately and had him do it again and, and got the, the real speed time on Stallworth, which led to, uh, I guess, the ability to impress Noel and, and get him drafted. It's funny. Some other scouts from some other teams noticed that none was lurking, you know, after the 40 and everybody's leaving. They noticed um that none was hanging around a little bit. And they were getting a little suspicious, and one or a couple of them asked him what he was doing. He said, "He said I, I forgot something here. I got to go get it." You know, blah 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 blah. And after they all left, he went and got stalwart, took him to a drier field. I guess it was kind of rainy and stuff. 
took them to a drier place and, and had them run because those 40 times were big. But even back then, I mean, and Chuck Noll wanted to see the 40 times. He was he was big on those. He wanted athletes when he came in here. Great story, and, and just like going the extra mile to, to figure out the, the keys in the, in the process of scouting a player. All right, so the Super Bowl is set. Super Bowl live, as they're calling it, 54 LIV. Uh, it's the Chiefs and the Niners, um, and that brings up some questions just as far as the Steelers go because you look at that AFC and how it turned out, and I think there's no surprises that the the Chiefs are the representative, even though Baltimore obviously was the number one seed. The Chiefs were really good all season long. But the way Tennessee beat Baltimore, I think, was kind of fascinating. Ed, can the Steelers take anything from that tape and and what the Titans were able to do to kind of pound it out and really take Baltimore out of their game? Is that something that can work going forward against that Ravens team, in your opinion? I think any time you have a young quarterback um, really playing for the first time, he played part of last season, or 2018 as we know, uh, but really a full season, Teams are going to break down that tape, see what teams did well against them. And, and the Steelers were one of them in that first game, remember. They really should have beaten the Ravens at home earlier in the year. Now, the Ravens, uh, they had some people hurt. Uh, they also uh, they, they weren't hitting their stride just yet. Uh, Cleveland beat them in Baltimore. Uh, but nevertheless, um, yeah, I think, I think a lot of people are going to be not just the Steelers, especially in the division, Cincinnati and Cleveland will be studying that uh, tape of Tennessee and what they did in that game. Yeah, you saw what happened in that game as well as what Ed was alluding to, teams figuring out what's best thing to do against Lamar Jackson. and It was obviously prevent him from running and allowing him to throw the, the ball to the sidelines where he's just not very accurate right now unless he's able to um, – clean that up a little bit teams are going to keep doing that and they're like if you want to throw the, they're going to tighten up the middle say hey throw it to the sidelines let's see if you can make that throw and he wasn't able to do that but running the ball has always been key I mean you saw what happened with the 49ers last week or what they did against the Packers but uh it should be interesting to see if eventually this all comes full circle again because, you know, when we used to cover, well, at least Ed, when Ed used to cover <laughs> football during his early days, that's all they did was run the ball. I I don't know. I would like to see if it's going to get back to that way. I don't know if it fully will, but it's, it, it tends to work in spurts. I would like to see if it if one team has the guts like sort of like Belichick did a couple years ago with the, the double tight ends type of thing just to go back to a uh, – a full power game and see if that can be successful over a 17-week season. I, I'm not quite sure if it can, but I'd like to see it. We might find out more in the draft to see how uh, yeah. how these teams uh, value running backs in the draft. Uh, what was it when Le'Veon Bell came out, right? Nobody was taken in the first round of the draft, and uh, 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 then Green Bay took, uh, what's his name, from Alabama, and, and, and the Steelers grabbed Bell. Right, right. Um, maybe that was a mistake. Green Bay, but nevertheless, uh, you know, it does seem to come in. You know, I've been doing this for a long time. You see things come in and go out and come in and go out. I mean, my God, they're talking about Lamar Jackson and other running quarterbacks. We saw that in Pittsburgh 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, and it certainly helps having a guy like Derrick Henry if you're going to do that. What a beast he was in the playoffs, just first against the Patriots and then against the Ravens and, and what he did. So, um, and how about the guy from from San Francisco too, who came out of nowhere. 
You know, yeah, I, ca- I call him Mozart. You know, he looks like a Mozart <laughs> running. Yeah, most are the second most yards in a playoff game and a guy who was had so many chances on so many different teams that, that let him go and he kind of found his way uh, in San Francisco. What a great a story that was. Before. It's, yeah. it's, a it's the Ed Boucher hap, uh, comedy hour here. Mozart <laughs> well, in Canada. You know, George, my mailman, had brought that up to me the other day. He says, how come you guys aren't talking about him as Mozart? And I go, oh, I'm going to have to use that, George. <laughs> Shout out to George. Um, from your mailbag, Mark, I'll go to this because somebody, um, a pessimistic Steelers fan, asked you the question, why does it seem like the Steelers are light years away from being a contender, which I didn't think of it that way, and, and neither did you by your answer, but I guess when you do see these other teams in the playoffs and what they're able to do and the Steelers didn't make the playoffs, it's a, it's a way to go. But I think there's, there's an easy way to look at this Steelers team just next year and consider them a contender. I mean, look at the 49ers last year. I bet you they looked like they were light years away um, from the Super Bowl with their quarterback. And let me think if I can remember his name. C.J. Beathard? Is that who it was? I, I don't even know. They were down to their third quarterback as well last year. This is the NFL. And you've seen it year in, year out, where a team goes from worst to first. It doesn't take that much. And I don't think it takes that much for the Steelers. You know, if they can get some healthy guys and – uh, a draft pick or two in the right position and and things break their way, why can't they be back to the Super Bowl next year? I don't think any team is really light years away from there, but I understand what they're saying because there's some you know, pretty dynamic offenses here. But you got to keep telling yourself, look what the Steelers had to play with this year. I mean, you think that everybody's making excuses, but that's real. I mean, it's real when you got fifth-string running backs and fourth-string quarterbacks and, and third-string tight ends, I mean, it, it's hard to produce offense with that. So that's probably why people are, are viewing light years away, but I don't see it. I mean, if things break the right way next year, why not? You know, Mark, just to point out one thing, uh, how quickly they can turn around. Look how quickly their defense turned around just by plugging in a couple guys this year. Mid-season, you know, too, um, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, what was it, thirty-three to three, thirty-four to three up in New England? They opened, and uh, you know, and and when their schedule came out, they look at San. People looked at San Francisco, and that when you do strength of schedule, you go, eh, you know, there's an easy one. Yeah, not a lot of ton, not a lot of picks in the draft coming up. We'll have plenty of time to talk about that as we get closer. But there's certainly ways for this team to get healthy and better, and and I think that they certainly can be if things go the right way. A contender again next season. Um, they the, the defense is already there, as you said. All right. Well, the Senior Bowl wrapping things up down there in Mobile, Alabama. We touched on that a little bit. And if you want all the coverage from that week, check out our Prospects to Pros podcast right here on the Athletic Podcast Network. Dane Brugler. Chris Burke and Brian brought us all getting together, sharing their insights from mobile. I think they're doing three separate podcasts this week. So they'll really break down the, the young talent down there, great receiving core and, and the positions that have really stood out. So check out that podcast. And again, go to the athletic.com slash the immaculate podcast, save 40% off a one year subscription to the athletic follow Ed on Twitter and Mark as well. Ed Bouchette. That's at Ed Bouchette and at Mark Caboli. Easy to find. Thanks to our producer, Marissa Morris. I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in to the Immaculate Podcast. 